0: Well, we are beginning week six together of our Seeking Him study, learning how to seek Him, and the theme of this week is holiness, holiness. I have to admit to you, I'm not an expert, I do not speak out of my experience, That is it's not my authority. Authority this morning is the Word of God, not experience. But I am encouraged that though there's a lot within me that is not holy, there is something within me that is. And that something in me that is set apart, unique to God, is His Spirit that He has given to me. I just want to encourage you because if you are a believer in Christ, He has granted that same Spirit to you. There is something about you that desires to be like God if the Spirit of Christ is in you. And so I, I take great courage in that. I, I want to appeal to you because I, I don't know what you have in your mind when you think of the word holy. Uh, one of the things you'll learn this week as you study this is that what you might associate with that word holiness is probably wrong. A lot of times we think of dour faces and uh, maybe uh, rigid people, folks who don't know how to laugh, don't know how to have fun. Because that would be unholy. Um, and it's really quite, the, quite different from that. Quite the opposite. In fact, I, I've shared with you before how growing up, I, I had, uh, um, well, ambitions. And I think every child does. I shared with you that where I grew up, there was uh, just up the road from me uh, where uh, the benefactor uh, pool lived, was born, the one that uh, the land came from, for uh, Pullen, for Pullen Park and some of these other areas. And they had a historical marker there. And I always, you know, would pass by this historical marker where someone was born significant. And there was within my heart uh, a desire for that. Yeah, I didn't have a neighborhood, and so I I learned how to play, and I had my imaginary friends, and I had my imaginary enemies, you know. (laughs) Uh, it's, it's not good enough just to have friends. Imagine you have to have enemies. And uh, I was constantly reading uh, biographies of uh, war heroes and generals and stuff as a little boy. And so I would constantly, I would just have my battles. And I, and I would die and win all at the same time, you know. And it just in my imagination, I would think, I remember just laying, laying down dead, pretending I was dead, in the, in the grass. And looking up in the sky, I was thinking, maybe one day I'll be so great that they'll have a historical marker right here. Here, Jared Scott. <laughs> I, now, I think I'm putting something out there for you guys. Um, and y'all going to look at me like, oh, you're weird. No, I don't think I am. I think y'all do the same thing. Uh, that's why I'm saying that. It's, uh, that there is something within us that wants to be significant. We don't want to be forgotten. And if it's a historical marker, if it's a book, if it's song, if it's uh, something... Where we made a difference, we we're significant in some way. I would just present to you that that desire is really a desire about being holy. <laughs> Wait a second, you're making a you're making a step there, Pastor. No, there is something within us that wants to be extraordinary. There is something within us that that wants to be greater than just a life that we live. Something that wants to be a part of, of something that, that is greater than, than anything. And we, we project that maybe toward books, music, historical, uh, significant events, being a general or whatever it may be. But that desire that, that's given to us is given to us by God. And it's about being a part of something wholly unique. And that wholly unique thing is being holy, being like God. It's just somewhere along the way we learn that it's not the applause of mankind, it's not the applause of, of history, but it, we learn that it's the applause of God. For God to say, there's been no one like this person, that their heart has been wholly given to me. And so I would just want to share with you that that, that desire to be extraordinary is desire to be with God and like God Himself. Now, when we talk about holiness, we, we are talking about a moral behavior. Um, we're talking about not just an outward action, but also we're talking about a heart attitude uh, that is to be like God, uh, like like Christ. And, and just the fact of the matter, I, I did a little look and, and, and saw... How do believers compare with folks who are not believers and how they view life? So I, I came across a report from Barna Research. Uh, this was a study done in 2003. And uh, they're looking at uh, seven significant areas. Uh, gambling, uh, living with someone of the opposite sex without being married to them, uh, enjoying sexual thoughts or fantasies about someone having abortion, Uh, having a a sexual relationship with someone outside of the person you're married to, uh, pornography, using profanity, looking at these areas and and compared. How do people who are born again view this versus others who are not? Well, it's interesting. Of all adults uh, gambling, they they view, 61% view this as uh, morally acceptable. Born again... Those who claim that title, born again, view morally acceptable gambling. 45% of them. Um, When you're when you're looking at, uh, well, sexual relationships with someone outside of whom you're married, all adults, 42% view this as morally acceptable. Born again, titled, self titled folks, 35% of them believe that this was morally acceptable. Uh, pornography, 38% of all adults have viewed this as morally acceptable. Born again, 28% viewed this as morally acceptable. It, it's, it's interesting that the difference is not that much between those who are just out there and, and they don't claim any kind of born again title and those who do. And what's fascinating, one of the... Uh, the trends they found is that the greater difference was in age. That those youngers saw much of these behaviors a lot more morally acceptable than those who maybe were baby boomers, are, are the elders. In fact, let me just share this with you. Uh, the mosaics; these are the folks who were about. Um, they're probably maybe 23 right now, 23, 24, uh, and the busters; those who are. Uh, a little bit older, my age, uh, they viewed a lot of these behaviors, they deemed the behavior morally acceptable. Baby boomers, ages 39 through 57, were less likely to buy into each behavior. And elders, those who were about, about 60 or older, emerged as people least likely to embrace the behavior. And so it's interesting, you find a, a um, well, uh, being less and less hostile, if you will, uh, to these these moral behaviors. Uh, behaviors now I've, I've shared with you the negative aspect being holy is not just uh, refusing some behaviors but it's much more about embracing others of of what is right of what is love what is just what is kind and so it's a, it's a they come hand in hand but I just want to share with you that uh, that this the way the people think around us, is vastly different from how God wants us to think. And so and to get this across, I wanted you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, that that really kind of puts into place what God is 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 saying that He wants us to be in the contrast to others. But I just want you to keep in mind that 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 backdrop of what holiness is of what who god is that as beautiful as something you might see here on this earth be it a scene of nature be it a person you think that that's beautiful or he's beautiful or she's beautiful god is much more beautiful when you see something holy right in this world god is much more right when you see someone who shows much love, much compassion, love mercy, much mercy, God is much more than that. And so I just want to share with you that what you see around uh, is pales in comparison to who God is. And so with this thought of mind, let's, let's read verse uh, 13, chapter 1, and let's read verses 13 through 16. In honor of this passage, let's stand as we read it together. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You may be seated. Well, we've got this word, therefore. And he's about to give us three specific actions that's based on everything he's mentioned before. And that's why he uses the word, therefore. And so let me just give you a little summary. I encourage you to read this chapter. uh, But if you were just to read verses 1 through 12... Let me just share with you some things that God uh, has done, according to Peter who wrote this. Verse 1, God has chosen you. Verse 3, God has caused you to be born again to a living hope. Something that won't die. Verse 4, God is keeping an inheritance for you, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. There is something to look forward to in God, in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, since God is protecting you through faith so that you won't lose that inheritance. So, so there's the, the hand of God in your life to keep you in the way that he's set you. Verse 6 and 7, God is refining your faith by fire so that it will receive praise and glory and honor. He is very much interested in how you trust him. And he wants you to, to grow in that. Verse 8, since you're swimming with the stripes of love and faith... And joy in Christ, in verse 10 and 13, since prophets and angels are, are longing, are on the tiptoes to see what God is done, are doing through His grace in your life. Since he's, you've got all these things, verse 13, He gives the first command. And that is simply, set your hope fully on the grace that's been brought to you, that revelation of Jesus Christ. The first command, in view of all these things, He says, set your hope. But he tells you a couple ways to do that. Notice how this is phrased. He says, "Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded." Now, these aren't the actions he wants us to do. He wants these are the participles. These are the qualities that we're that we're going to be doing as we do the action. What's the action? Set your hope. So, set your hope. Have your minds prepared. Being sober-minded. All right. Now, what is it, the image here? Well, the, the image that Peter is bringing up, the, the language that he's, he's using, some of your translations might say something like, girding up, girding up, like girding up your loins. And, and we just don't use those words anymore. We don't use the word loins, you know, unless we're eating something. Uh, but what that was is, is uh, in that day and time, uh, they ha- would have long flowing garments, the men and women both would, would do that. And if they wanted to run, they would have to take the bottoms of the garments that float around their, their feet and stick them into their, their belt so that they were free to run. Instead, so they were girding up the loins so that they could run. And so what he's saying is mentally, I want you to be girded up and I want you to be sober, right? That word sober, he says the opposite of, the, the, of that is drunk, you're, you're not alert. I mean, you, you've deadened your senses to a few things. You're you're mentally incapacitated. He says, don't be mentally incapacitated. I want you to be alert. I want you to be ready. I want you to be sensitive to what? Well, to your hope. Your hope, set it fully, hopefully, uh, fully hope on this. Fix it on this. On the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be sensitive to the grace of God. Have your hope set up. Don't get distracted, don't get deadened to Christ. Now we learned last week, last week we were focusing on the grace. the, The grace of God, and that the grace of God is that which empowers us to do what God wants us to do. It changes our heart. How do we get grace? We humble ourselves. We're honest with God, and we repent as we have humility in our life, God gives us grace. And so when we are filled with ourselves, we are devoid of God and we care little about the things of God because we're filled with ourselves, our agenda, our abilities. We have no heart for it. You want grace? You humble yourself. And so when you have that grace, you realize the preciousness of this and you say, I don't want to be dead to the grace of Jesus Christ. And I just share with you how it's so important to guard your affections for Jesus Christ. There are some things that may not necessarily be wrong, but because they rob you of an affection for Jesus Christ, they do produce bad results. I just, just share with you that uh, TV, and, and I think there's probably several things that, uh, of the media that they're not necessarily wrong, but they get my mind on it. They, they just capture my mind. And I think sometimes this could be even a book that I'm just reading. I get so engrossed in it that my affections for Jesus Christ are waning because of it. Uh, certainly, it, it could be any number of things. Uh, you know, I, I think sports can, can do that. Uh, I'd I say sports aren't bad. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy playing. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy talking about it. But, if I'm not careful, it can get to the point where... My affection for Christ is gone because it's been robbed by things of this word. I I think one of the things that was very helpful for us is if we have our own retreat from time to time. Where we take a day or two and say, I'm going to distance myself from a normal routine. And I'm just going to take some time out to read the word of God and to think about what I'm reading. Let me just get away and let God do a work in my heart. Let me humble myself before God. God, I need this grace. And that is so important for us to have in our life from time to time. In fact, God said, you know, take one day a week and give it to the Lord. You know, we think, well, oh, that means I, I, I don't work on those days. That, that's the Sabbath day, right? Okay, yeah. But it's not just not to work. That, that's not the real point. The point of it actually is to say, I want to set my heart set my mind, and fix it on Christ. I want to I take that day a week where I can have that retreat because I deal with the other days of work. And so because I do that, I just need to make sure that I've got my hope fixed on Christ. And so he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Psalm 147, verse ten eleven 11 says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. So, in other words, God's command and God's delight is not first what you can perform for him with your strength. That's not what God is looking for. It's to say, oh God, let me do this for you. What God is looking for is your hope that you set it on Christ. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's desiring and so, we, that's the first thing, verse 13. We said all these things that God has done for us, what does that mean? Well, first, you set your hope on Him. You set your hope on the grace of God. Verse 14, as obedient children, and this is the second action He tells us to do, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so, the second thing is resist. Don't be, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, because you do have Christ... Because you do have your hope on Christ God puts grace in your heart It changes who you are You're not like what you once were I was talking with one of my, my friends And he was, he was visiting a, an Assemblies of God church He was reading the, the conduct of faith and, Or their, their doctrine And, and they, they believe that uh, One of the physical manifestations That the spirit of God has been in your life Is that you speak in tongues We don't do that here Okay we don't, we don't believe that, that the only way you know the Spirit of God is in your life is, is that you have a weird language that comes out, or a different language. That's, that's not something we believe. But you know what? What if we stead, stated in, in our statement of faith, we believe that the physical manifestation of the Spirit of God is a changed life. Now, that's something I can believe. And What's more miraculous? Whether you have a changed life or whether you have a, a different language coming out of your mouth. I'm going to present to you the changed Life is a miracle that God does in someone's life. It is evidence of the Spirit of God that you are hoping in grace. And I shared with you last week how uh, how my daughters were hoping for the, the, the banquet, the ball, the father and daughter ball, and so they were. It changed their behavior. They were dressed well in advance, well, well in advance before uh, the event, and their their hope had been set toward the time. And so that at the, the, the sight of a car leaving the driveway, they were running uh, to the car because they didn't want to get left behind. It changed their day. It changed their behavior. And so when the grace of God appears in our life, we've seen something so beautiful. That though there are things we once enjoyed in our life, and it could be any number of things, Things we once enjoyed. Once we've seen Christ, we realize, you know, these things aren't nearly as good as I once thought they were. Because I've seen something better. I've experienced the grace of God. He's changed my want to. So now I'm I'm no longer conformed. And listen, though you're a believer, you will feel pressure to be like what you once were. It will, will be a daily pressure that you will feel to be like how you once were. He says, do not be conformed. Resist this to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy. So verse 15, it tells us now, verse 15 and 16, the third action. Set your hope. Do not be conformed. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So God wants you, has a plan for you. And he wants you to be extraordinary. He wants you to be like him. To have that same spirit, that same love, that righteousness, that kindness, that goodness, that justice. He wants it in your life. Now, I just want to present to you what the standard is. God. <laughs> Be holy as God is holy. Now, here's our problem. We're holy compared to others. And we look at others and we think, "Ah, oh, yeah, I'm, I've got... My life in order, compared to this guy, compared to this lady, <laughs> I'm doing well. But God never puts each other as a standard. Interesting. I, I didn't tell you this, but in that um, that Barna research, the majority of the people that interviewed regard themselves as morally upright, regardless of how they viewed behavior. No one, I mean, he, who wants to say, yeah, I, I'm immoral, <laughs> I want to be immoral, yeah, hey, you want to see immorality, look, look at me. Yeah. No one really wants that. Everyone wants to be morally good. They, they, there's a desire to be good. Why do they want to be good? Because God made them in his image. And there's something about us that wants to be good in some regard. And so, he says, don't look at each other, I'm your standard. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So what is holiness anyway? Well, i shared share with you a little bit. Uh, John Piper made a statement that God's holiness is rooted in his inability to be defined. He is incomparable in his moral perfection, yet accessible through Christ. And so, this is a little bit about his holiness. And, but here's what we learn. He, he's, this is a quote in verse 16. He's quoting something out of Leviticus, and you see repeated throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that God uses holiness to separate his people He wants those who compare themselves to God, who are linked with Him, to be like Him. To be set apart. To be different. So He wants to display His holiness through us. When someone claims the name of God, an individual, a neighbor needs to look at that person and say, They're different. They're different. What's the name that we often label ourselves? We are Christians. That's the name that we often identify ourselves. Uh, What does that mean? Someone? Little Christ. Little Christ. Interesting. When it was first termed, it was given by those who were not believers. That that name uh, name was given by those to those who were believers. So the unbelievers will call them the believers. uh, They're just like little Christ. Little Christ that run around. Today... Believers call themselves little Christ. And what do the unbelievers call us? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. And so, there's a problem there. God said, if you bear my name, you're going to be like me. There's going to be something about you that's different from this world. The problem is that we, we shoot for happiness... We shoot for convenience, we shoot for comfort. We don't shoot to be like God. Joe Heisman was given an explanation on media for why um, he was having an affair and was leaving his soon to be his, his soon to be ex wife, he's leaving her. And this is what he said. God wants Joe Heisman to be happy. So with that thought. He thought it was okay to leave the previous wife and find another wife because the first wife wasn't making him happy. And this other lady will make him happy. And God, after all, wants us to be happy, right? What if you really irritated me? You made me life miserable. And I just, bam, right in your face. And you said, why did you do that? I thought if I do that, they would stop, stop bickering with me. And God wants me to be happy. He gave me the strength to do that. <laughs> what would you do? There's something wrong with that, right? They're just going to leave me alone. God says God's going to empower him to hit me. You know, I, I don't, there's something wrong with that. God doesn't want us, that's not the main agenda. Because God thinks different from us. He realizes that holiness is is like being like Him. And if you're like Him, you'll find a joy that is within that. I assure you, folks who are holy, who have their heart set on the heart of God, who have their desires to be like God's, there's a joy there. You ask them, hey, do you really regret this? No. They don't regret having their heart being likened unto God. They don't regret having their heart's desires changed because they remember how things were and what was going on. The sad reality is that there's too many people that have been touched by the grace of God and had their heart forgiven, but yet they forsake the ways of Christ and go back to the way things once were. <laughs> and they do not glorify God by such behavior. They say It's like saying, I see the things of Christ and I remember how I once were... I, You know, I don't want Christ. I want how I used to be. Sure, save me from the penalty of my sin, but I don't want you to save me from my sin yet because I enjoy it too much. There's a problem with that. God uses holiness to separate His people. It's it's the the difference between loving versus being selfish. It's the difference between gracious, being gracious and being unkind. It's the difference between forgiving and versus being unmerciful. It's the difference between wise and being foolish. It's the difference between giving versus being a hoarder. It's the difference between joyful and those who are despairing and depressed. It's the difference between being peace filled and then being responding in turmoil and anxiety. It's the difference between handling things with grace and truth versus handling things with dishonesty and anger. We look at this list and we think, yeah, I want the I want the first. I don't want the latter. But how many times in our life do we respond in the latter? Because we see it as the short-term solution to exalt and protect ourselves? Do not forget that Satan is a liar. And he gives you this selfish way out and says this is good. He's lying when he does so. When individual believers live in the first... And when there's a group of people that lives in this first list, the world will see God and His glory. When people visit here, and they say, you know, I want to see what this community is about. I was talking with a, with a buddy a fellow today. He's helping me with Taekwondo, and uh, he's uh, a Korean. and, he, and he's, he was asking me. He found out I'm I'm with the church. He says, um, so when do you meet? What do y'all do? You know, he he said I've I've never been in church. But there is a something, there's a desire within them to say, I want to see what that's about. So when they come and they visit, and they get a taste of, of a community, of, of watching your interactions, watching what you say to one another, what you say to them, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for somewhere, someone that has love about them. They, they want to see graciousness. They want to see forgiveness. They want to see wisdom. They want to see giving. They want to see joyfulness. They want to see peace-filled lives. They want to see folks handling situations, difficulties with grace and truth. Because they can see selfishness anywhere. They can see people who hoard and live for themselves and brag anywhere. There's something about them that wants to see something different. God wants that too. And so he wants a group of people that shows the glory of God. So let me ask you, are are you like that? Which one are you? Are you holy? Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be a part of a community that's holy? So how does God release his holiness through us? You just need to know something. I've shared with you before. When God gives his spirit to you, those who trust in Christ, he gives his spirit. It is a holy spirit. It is a desire. It is something within you that desires to do right. He gives that to you. But the problem is that we don't, we don't let that come out. We've got an old way about us and we, and we have ways of habit. And so God is saying, look, I, I, want, I want to teach you. I want to train you by your by grace to let the Holy Spirit, the holiness come out of you that which is like me. So how does that happen? Well, he teaches them truth and he gives them a test. We, we see that in the Old Testament. With the people of God, the Israelites, you see tests given. And here's a few tests. He gives them 40 days without Moses. He says, I'm here. And instead they go into idolatry instead of trusting God. He gives them immoral neighbors and he says, I want you to be different. But instead of being different, they become like them. He gives them a period of time where there's no food or water. He says, I want you to trust in me that I will provide what you need. But instead, they become impatient. Then they get a bad reports from the spies about what the promised land will look like. And instead of trusting God with giving them the strength to, to overcome the enemies, they act in insubordination against God. God will give you tests in your life. What is he testing for? One of the things he's testing for is faith. Faith. You know, some folks see life as a roller coaster. Some folks see life as, as a journey. Life as a competition. But we read in Scripture that life is not these things, but life is a test. What is he testing for? He's testing you for trust in him for faith in him. So when bad things happen, when good things happen, understand God is using it as a test. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10-11, the Bible says he disciplines us for a good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God will use all kinds of things. He'll use difficult people. God will... You'll learn more about how to live life by being around difficult people. I mean, really, how hard is it to learn to love when all you've got are loving people around you? So what does does God do? God makes sure there's unloving people around you to teach you how to love. To teach you the right trait, He'll put you in the opposite situation. You want to learn peace? Anybody can have peace when, when there's prosperity in their life. So He makes sure there's the opposite of that. There's a little need in your life. Or maybe a little turmoil in your life. Or folks that just kind of get to you in your life. And then he says, alright, we're, we're going to teach you some peace. And situations, right? And so he's using life to teach you and to test you in these things. So, here's what me. I, mean. I want to give you a little encouragement though. That in these times, 1 Corinthians chapter 10.13 tells us a, a beautiful promise. That in in the test that we face, that God will put tests in your life, that one is common to man. Every trial is common to man, according to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Others have gone through this same test, and they've succeeded. One of the the temptations we have is have self-pity. Like, no one has gone through this. I am so different from everyone else. Please pity me. And no, Scripture says No. Others have gone through what you're going through. This is common to man. But the second thing he says is in 1 Corinthians 10 13 that these tests that you'll go through will be controlled by God. It's not, though it seems like chaos to you, God is still over it. God is faithful. God knows you better than you know yourself. So you remember, when things get hot, God's got his hand on the thermostat. So, what does that mean? Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. God is still in control. Isaiah 41.10 Fear thou not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then, 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us something. That these times of testing are conquerable. They can be conquered. He says in in that passage... These will. God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, by the power of God's Spirit, by His grace, you've got everything you need to pass that test. It can erase doubt. It can erase hopelessness. That's one of the things that you... When, you, when things are tough, there's a part of you that asks, is this ever going to change? Say, Am I always going to deal with this? And you just despair because you don't see any end in sight. What this tells me is that God comes in and says, this too will pass. This too will have an end. And I will give you what you need to endure it until the end. Now, holiness. You just need to know that you're not holy unless there is an intention in your heart to be holy. I mean, do you ever wake up and say, "I'm going to be holy today"? <laughs> you go to bed, it's like, "Woe is me." <laughs> you know. Uh, but there, there is something that that is a desire within our heart that says, "I want to take this day. I don't want to be like Christ." Well, we may not use that terminology, holy, holy, but we want to approach life to be like Christ. If we wake up in our day and we don't have that that desire in our heart, that intention in our mind, that plan in action, guess what? You will not be more like Christ that day. You will take that day and you will step away from Christ. D.A. Carson said that people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance we drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. <laughs> and that's why we need one another. To encourage us and love to good works. For someone to be bold enough in our life to say, "I pray that you'll be holy, and will you help me to be holy? Will you help me to be like Christ?" Because if we're left in ourselves in little islands of society, we're going to go down this direction. My, my grandfather's land. He he was a agricultural agent back when he was young, and before that, even as a young boy, he worked on the farm. I mean, that's what he was, what he was, and what he did, and, and that never left him. It, he living in Zebulun he had a couple of, I think about four acres of land and, and, and it was just amazing to go over and to, to see it because it was, it was beautiful folks would stop and take pictures of his garden uh, and the various things coming up and, and then there's fruit trees everywhere and, and everything was always pruned and done at the right times he was grafting things and all, all kinds of agricultural projects that he was doing I could drive you by that land today and you look at it and wonder, did anyone ever live here? It's just been a few years. There's bamboo taking over, thorns, blackberry thorns going everywhere, grass way high. You might see some evidence of some fruit trees here and there. That's about it. What happened? Nothing. That's the point. Nothing happened. You no longer live there. There was no longer efforts of controlling the land. Listen, your heart, your mind, left into itself will go wildly selfish. It will grow wildly selfish. Unless something is happening in your life. Is there within your heart a desire to be holy? If there is, it's because God's placed it there. So, If God's placed it there, what are you doing with it? Let me just share with you, I encourage you to read this week. There's some good stuff. I learned some good things uh, from the study, from seeking Him this week. And I'm going to read a section here. It's toward the end. Some of the best things are on day five. All right? Now, let me just share some uh, comparative statements here. Holy people behave in certain ways because they love God. Hypocrites behave in certain ways because they want others to think they love God. Holy people are concerned about being pleasing to God inside and out. Hypocrites are concerned about how they are perceived by others. Holy people have a heart to love and serve others regardless of their socioeconomic status. Hypocrites like to associate with the movers and shakers and the up-and-coming to enhance their own standing. Holy people bow to the authority of Scripture and live radically obedient lives. Hypocrites will excuse disobedience to the Word of God through use of pious-sounding logic while slavishly adhering to their own man-made rules and standards. Holy people will give themselves unreservedly to God and are patient with others who are still in the process. Hypocrites expect more from others than they are willing to give of themselves. Holy people have a humble estimation of themselves before God because God is their standard. Hypocrites compare themselves to others and develop a spiritual superiority complex. Holy people base their convictions on the standard of God's word. Hypocrites exalt personal preferences and human traditions to a position of equal or greater authority with the word of God. Holy people are real. Hypocrites pretend to do things they don't, abstain from things they do. They pretend to love things they hate. And they pretend to hate things they love. And they pretend to want things they dread. And they pretend to dread things they want. I pray perhaps maybe in the listing of that you found yourself. Oh my. Perhaps there's more hypocrisy than holiness in my heart. Here's the good news. If you found yourself in that position. You have an opportunity like you've not had before to be humble. To be humble. To say, God, I am not what you want me to be. I see it. I admit it. I mourn it. Here's the great news. If you take that opportunity to to be humble and honest with yourself, honest to God, and say, God, will you give me the strength to turn, to repent, here's the good news. He will. He will give you the change of heart to do that if you're humble. So you can think of all the reasons right now not to be humble, and I'm sure you can think of many, but they're not holy reasons. Not one of them is a holy reason. I invite you to be humble. I invite you to come. I don't want you to sit there because there's too much pride in just sitting there. If you recognize that there is much to do in your heart and there's more hypocrisy than holiness, I invite you to come to this altar and say before God, I am a hypocrite in my heart before you. I need you. I mourn it. Will you forgive me? Give me the grace to change. Let me be like you. I want to turn to you. I invite you to come right now and do that.